So let's talk about music. My name is Sergio Barrer, and I'm a composer and a pianist of the classical persuasion. And with me today is Brett, how do you pronounce your last name? Abigania. Abigania, that's right. Uh, he's a composer that has written a lot of material that I know for uh, winds, wind band. And uh, I'm, we met in uh, Chicago in the Midwest conference and I, uh, he showed me some materials and I wanted to invite him. And uh, I've been very busy with the premiere of a new work that is coming up in a couple of weeks. But I found we finally made time and uh, here he is. Welcome, yeah. Brett. Thank you. I'm very happy to be here. Yes, uh, I'm happy to have you here. Uh, I usually ask one question before we get into the music is, uh, how did you get into being a composer? Uh, well, uh, I was a violinist first. Um, and uh, I, man, I have to tell you, I absolutely despised practicing. I still do. <laughs> uh, Beethoven uh, didn't like it either. So yeah. Company. Uh, and uh, I, I couldn't practice for more than about a half an hour without getting bored. And um, <laughs> then I remember in eighth grade, uh, it was first period science class. Uh, I was totally uninterested in pond biology or whatever he was trying to teach us that day uh and i got a random idea for a string quartet and spent the rest of the hour writing it down uh and then i got home that that afternoon and wanted to keep working on it so i kept working on it for for hours um the upshot of the deal was this was a daily occurrence for me which led to a c minus in science um, and a lifelong obsession with, with composition. I realized that I could write music for eight hours at a stretch and not break a sweat. Uh, and so right there, that was, that was when my focus changed. And um, I've been doing it ever since. And I still hate practicing, but I love writing. So, so here we are. You know, do what you love, right? <laughs> That's really cool. That was eighth, eighth grade? That... that was eighth grade, yeah. It's been a long, been a long time now. Cool. Yeah, I've seen you have you have put out quite a bit of a production since then. Uh, I've been I've been lucky enough to find people who are interested in playing my music and people who seem to want more of it, and uh, it's a it, it's it's a nice place to be. I'm 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 very lucky in that way to, uh, to yeah. be in, in some level of demand, I guess, uh, whatever that means. <laughs> yeah, well, there it, it means what it means. It means that there is demand for your works and that's always good uh and i can see why i've been uh studying some of the other compositions that you that you sent me um i was gonna dive into the dante but i didn't have the time that that seems like a your second symphony the one about dante dante's yeah. uh, three that that seems like really worth taking up but studying i would yeah, have that's really a, that's that's a, a very dense piece, but I mean, it, yeah, like you said, it's based on Dante. It's not going to be a walk in the park. <laughs> no. and I, recently, I've heard some some versions of Dante and the things I like, you know, the 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 Inferno and the Paradise and things I don't. And it's really good material for composing. I think it's a it can it can lead to some very interesting stuff. Absolutely. The thing with 
Dante's work is that it's so visual and it's so specific. Um, and and for, for me, that's always been attractive because, uh, I mean, whatever my aesthetic, I mean, my, my aesthetic is completely divorced from anything Dante would ever have dreamed up musically, of course. Of course. But, uh, but to... Um, to try to show some of the symbolism and and some of the the visual specifics in his work, in you know through music, uh, was was a really fun challenge. I had some help along the way. Um, one of the uh, one of one of the scholars who teaches at the school where I also teach, uh, BU Academy. Um, his name is James Davis, and a, a fantastic uh, uh, intellectual and philosopher, and he teaches. Dante and so I sat wow. in on many many classes with him and kind of got got very deeply into the symbolism and what Dante was actually saying and I kind of used that as my as my way through um the my musical version uh but it, it was a fun process uh, yeah. but as you said it is it is quite dense as as it yeah. should be you can't you can't do that piece halfway you know yeah and you have to have someone to explain you what Dante was saying because I've tried. I just said one day I'll just download it in the Kindle version of the Divin the La Comedia, and I started reading. I said, "Oh, oh, I don't think I understand." <laughs> you know, I need an explanation at the side. You know, you need your own Virgil to get through that. Yeah, <laughs> you know? I said this is this is another universe. You know. Anyway, yeah. so I went to the first symphony and I chose one of the movements and I wanted I wanted to talk to you. What does the title mean? Omnigente? It's uh, all the people? Omnigentes. Yeah, all Omnigentes. people. Yeah, all people. All people. So what, what is this uh, symphony about? The first symphony? I, we're going to talk about the second movement in particular, but if you can set it up. Uh, yeah, so the entire symphony... Mm -hmm. I, when I wrote it, it, it was written uh, for the U.S. Navy Band um, okay. in Washington D.C. And uh, yeah, interestingly enough, when they when they commissioned the thing, they were very specific not about what they did want, but what they did, did not want. Oh wow! Um, they they said, you know, yes, we want you to write us something, but please, for the love of God, we don't want anything having to do with sailing or sailors or whales. Please don't write anything for, you know, our percussionists to drop anchor chains on a chunk of wood. Like, no, stop with that. Can you just write us a piece of music that doesn't make us want to jump off a submarine? <laughs> I'm like, sure. <laughs> and so um, at the time, uh, you know, there was, as, as there is now, a lot of talk in the news and everything about what makes people different. Um, and there's there's so much time spent on unpacking uh everybody's differences everybody uh be that you know political or or uh romantic geopolitical geographical just you know yeah we yeah. talk about that so often um i wanted to write a piece that focused on the things that we all in some fashion kind of have in common and so the the four movements in the symphony kind of deal with um with four things that i think uh humans in general we we all do share in some capacity uh so the first movement is about love um that can be romantic it can be familial it can be maternal it could be 
you know, anything. It, it can be, it can be uh, political. It, does, it doesn't really matter. It can be. Yeah. I just wrote a, yeah. You know, I just, I just wrote a piece about love. I, I, I understand very well the concept that it's very a very broad, broad concept. It is, and I, so I tried to write that very broadly. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, and interestingly enough, as as I sat down to write it, uh, sitting here in my studio in uh, in New England. Uh, it had just started snowing and it looked particularly pretty that day. And so uh, the opening of the piece starts with what I think snow might sound like, I guess. I um, yeah. Yeah. Uh, so that's the first movement. The second movement is something that I think all humans share is some kind of fall from innocence in some way. Um, and of course, that, again, can be defined in so many different ways. Uh, but for that movement, I wrote... Uh, what I thought at the time was the dumbest melody I had ever invented, ever. Really? Uh, yeah, I thought it was just, I wrote the thing and I was, this is, this is awful. It is, so, it is so banal and, 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 uh, you know, well, yeah, innocent. I, there's, there's nothing, I mean, it's, it's in D major, which is, you know, odd for me. And it's, it was, it's just, there's just no, there's no substance there. And so I spent the entirety of the movement utterly dismantling it and trying to destroy it in as many different ways as I possibly could to show that that fall from innocence. Okay. You know, I agree. I I sound I the the thought was that this sounds pretty conventional, you know. Yeah. It doesn't sound like uh, any of the other stuff I've heard, but there must be a reason for that and now we, now I understand. I want to play it. It's three and a half minutes. What we're going to do is we're going to listen to it and uh, and and then you can explain how you went about dismantling it because it is an interesting process. I had to listen to it twice just to see exactly, you know. So this went from this to, you know, and then went yeah. back and, and say, oh, I see, I see what it is. But um, anyway, let's let's do that now, and then we'll talk about it, okay? A little bit more. Yeah.
there is a comedic aspect to this no oh absolutely <laughs> absolutely there's a there's all sorts of things that it's it's funny watching audiences respond to this movement because some of them aren't sure if it's okay to laugh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and and yes of course it's yeah. okay to laugh i mean when you hear the uh the uh the trumpet solo with the little wah mute or the yeah. over there or or i mean you know, there's there's even things written into the bass drum uh, ba not bass drum bass trombone part um uh it, when the second march comes up uh the bass trombone has has the bass line there um but it's supposed to be played with the harmon and the stem and and doing a wah on each note which is impossible on the bass trombone because you're trying to play the trigger over here and work the slide with the other hand and so you have no hands with Absolutely. which to try to do a walk right. but i wrote it that way on purpose so that whoever was sitting next to the poor guy is going to have to reach <laughs> over and and actually you know put his hand across the bell it's meant to be somewhat funny so that, that there is certainly a, a visual aspect there for the audience if you hear it live I see. Yeah, and also it kind of wants to come to life towards the end again. The theme it's trying to revive and you just, <laughs> <laughs> just, just <laughs> you just you just destroy it with with a hammer, right? Yep. That's the image I got. Yeah, that's uh, uh that's that's pretty much it because I mean again, you know, innocence is nice, but we're all gonna yeah. lose it eventually. And <laughs> you know, to try to go back and and you know resurrect it is just it's just dumb <laughs> on a certain level yeah. you know you have to i mean you yeah. you may want to make the world better by all means we should all want to aspire to that but in the end you also still have to live here <laughs> you know and, <laughs> and and so there is there's certainly an aspect of you know that that part of you is is gone you know once you you right. grow up a little bit you see the world as it is there is a certain innocence that uh that you lose along the way and um, you can't you can't delude yourself into trying to get that back. That's not that's not the way the world works. It's not the way humans work. Right. Not only that, but um, I think I think uh, I just lost my turn of thought for some reason. But um, <laughs> I was looking at anyway. Uh, it's uh, it's what I was gonna say. I got my train back. It's uh, even for you, your conventional stuff has interesting stuff in it, okay? So even the, the thing that you said, it's the worst theme ever, but you put on some stuff there and, and you make it somewhat interesting. You know, it, I was listening to it again. That's, yeah, this is, this is, this is conventional for you, but for a lot of people, that's, that's pretty good. Now, I mean, you know what I, you know what I mean? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, okay. It's it's very well crafted. When was this done? Oh wow, that was. Oh man, uh, two thousand. Well, I don't know, ten ish. Oh. I, okay. So I'm it's horrible like twelve years ago. I have to. I have no idea when it was done. Oh. <laughs> but I, I think it was someplace right. around in there. <laughs> okay. Well, what you what you show me the next one? We're gonna do another piece, the Locker and Briefs. I yes. I like it. You know, I know about Locker and Mode because I I did it for a, for a, in a section of a piece. I said to give it some variety, and it and it worked for that section. But it it's very tricky stuff when you're 
tonic is a is a diminished form. Yeah, <laughs> you know, it's yeah. I, you know that uh, the piece was written for the uh, the Air Fa Air Force Band of the Golden West out at uh, Travis Air Force Base in California, um, and. You know, very often when I get a commission, they have something specific that I'm writing for. So this one was for a concert uh, where and they were going to honor uh, women who had worked in factories doing during World War II, commonly called Rosie the Riveter. Right. Right. Um, and they were actually going to have some of them there. And so they oh. they wanted this piece um, to to kind of honor what they did. And so the piece. Uh, has a few things going for it first of all the the it, it's it's not programmatic i don't do that very often but um it's not programmatic but it does kind of have the essence of a factory kind of starting up and then going into full production mode and then the thing uh, the factory does like fall apart a couple of times uh and and it's it's always kind of kicks back into gear and it's fine but it almost goes down in flames um and I, I had fun kind of playing with that. But as far as the Locrian part was concerned, um, I, I've this is something I've, I've been playing with for a few years. You know, can you make the audience want something that normally they wouldn't want? Um, and in this case, Locrian is, I mean, it's, it's not just to medieval or Renaissance ears, even to our ears, it's, it's, it's a little bit off. Right, you know, yeah. especially if you're going to work triadically and try to be, you know, try to restrain yourself into that mode. As you said, the tonic is is a diminished chord, and that's that's odd. So, can you get the audience to crave that as opposed to a major or a minor or a quintal or a quartal, whatever, yeah. um, a, a more traditional tonic idea? Can you get them to to crave the diminished chord as home base? Um, yeah. I don't know if I was successful, but... Uh, well, here's the I thing. Going. I observed something. I, yeah. If I might give you an opinion. The thing is, you end in that diminished chord, right? With the last couple of notes, the last note or two are the tonic, right? On, yeah. the, on, the, on the riff that you do. So that set up an immediate return to the riff because you, you start the riff again. And so it doesn't sound like you are forcing this tonic on it. You're, you're just, it's part of the flow. So it flows very naturally, you know? That, that, that was the idea. That was kind of a, a cheap way around the problem, but yeah. Yeah, but it I, is I, a way, I, I mean, <laughs> and the fact that it's a riff, you know? Do, do you have jazz? Uh, jazz? Oh yeah, I, I, there, there's jazz all over my music. I've, I've been playing yeah? jazz for years, so yeah. Oh, yeah. okay. But it, it is interesting because it, it is built on a riff, which is a repeated, a repeated, set of notes of certain length as opposed to you know a sentence or a period of or all the other ways that we construct classical music yeah so so i enjoy that very much and i want to share it with our audience because uh yeah it, it and it has some transitions and some i i enjoyed it very much so i decided to use it Thank you. 
Cool. That's really cool. Uh, I have some questions. Uh, you know, I can always perceive a little bit that that riff, the original riff, even mm -hmm. though you have three or four counterpoint things going. So how do you achieve that? I mean, there is a lot of notes going on, but I still don't get lost. So how do you do that? Um, I'm not sure I can honestly take credit for that. Um, <laughs> it might be just that the band is really, really good. Um, <laughs> uh, you know, I, counterpoint is, is my happy place. Um, you know, the, there, there's, I, I've, I've always thought that the, the best music that has ever been written is heavy on counterpoint. That's just, I, you know, I tend to agree with you. you know? I tend to agree with you. Yeah. And, I and yeah, yeah, I, I increasingly I, I see, especially young composers, you know, they bring me their music. And, you know, that's my first question is like, where is the counterpoint? It's great that you can write chords. Congratulations. But <laughs> I mean, this is yeah. this is the difference between uh, you know, Telemann and Bach, <laughs> you know, no, uh, yeah, yeah. And, it's, um... and it's been like that through throughout music history. Um, and so I think uh, it's you know my my contrapuntal sense was was definitely pounded into me by my by my first composition teachers and uh, you know I still do species counterpoint at least two or three times a week just for myself it's it's like practicing your scales I think I don't practice but <laughs> you know it's it's like practicing your scales you don't you don't mind these kind of practices uh, no no I but you it's know creative. it's, it's it's you still need to do it. You know, I still write 18th century fugues every now and then just because it's a it's interesting. It's kind of fun. But it's also, you know, it's a, the constant clarification of the contrapuntal process. Uh, the, the idea that what you do in this moment with that note has profound consequences a few measures later or a few minutes later. And, you know, being able to plan all of that ahead. It's it's. Um, has it, it happened to you that that a part seems weak and you change it and then you realize that 10 bars later, now it doesn't make sense? Oh, all the time. All the time. <laughs> um, yeah. yeah. That's, because, of course, you whatever you're developing, you know, it's I in, in my music, I don't like the idea of a form being you know it, it, it when if, if i'm if i'm developing something i can only develop the thing that happened you know two minutes ago when i was exposing a theme or whatever no i'm going to develop everything always that, that's that's more interesting to me and and so naturally if if something goes wrong it's something i just i just don't like it here but if i ignore it and keep going then whatever i didn't like i'm going to develop i'm going to work with right. and try to improve it and that doesn't always work but that's you know, that's why God made versions of these things. It's why, it's why we have erasers, yeah. you know? Um, and, uh, uh, but even then, I mean, you, you erase, you know, a few measures or an entire section. Uh, it doesn't mean it's gone. You, you, you hold on to it because even if you can't use those notes again, you still, you can still work on the idea. There was something there that, that was of interest, at least initially. And, uh, you know, if you didn't get it right the first time, hold on to the idea. It may, may come in handy next week, you know? Yeah. And I, well, I have a question about the work that we just heard, the, that big stop. Now, do you like to work 
or not like I didn't get that you like program programmatic writing or you don't like programmatic writing? do you do you seldom do it or you do it often or what? I don't do it I do not do it very often okay um, okay you know something like the the Dante piece that uh -huh. uh, that you mentioned that of course like it you're you're gonna go th with Dante through every level of hell and through purgatory and paradise so so yes that is programmatic but in general um I'd much rather write a piece if there is a program it's not generally something I share with a listener and it's it's usually something in my own head that honestly man has very little to do with the piece or its inception or its scope you know uh, I tell my students sometimes you know inspiration doesn't hit you until you're halfway done with the piece and uh it's like that frequently actually and sometimes the best inspiration is just asking yourself a ridiculous question. Uh, you know, what would an owl and a coffee pot sound like if you orchestrated it? <laughs> and if, if they if they had some bizarre hate child and it could make noise, how could you write that for woodwind quintet? You know, just why not? It's a stupid question that does not deserve an answer. And yet it's kind of fun to go find out, <laughs> you know? And so, so I can be programmatic to the extent that I ask myself one of those questions. I see. Yeah. My, my teacher, one, one thing that I do when, when things get a little stuck is he, he showed me this trick. He said, just put a few wrong notes in what you're thinking and let them guide you somewhere. You know, oh, you're thinking cool. something. Okay. Just put a couple of wrong notes and think with that. And, uh, just oh that's interesting that that note was interesting and uh especially when i'm in a rut through it you know yeah wrong notes tend to free me up a little bit but that's me you know no that's that's i'm gonna have to try that next time <laughs> thank you but, I, I'm, I'm officially stealing that from you <laughs> <laughs> that's how it works with music you know i and and the fact of continually evolving music, I I relate to that very much. I have pieces that I call evolutions that I never look back. It just goes forward, and because it's happening in my head anyway. Yeah. I, you know, I put a repeat sign, and then I go back and listen to the whole thing again. No, it doesn't happen like that. No. So, never. so it always sounds fresh when when I'm hearing it. it. Sounds fresh. It sounds like you wrote it because you that's what you wrote and that's it but it never sounds like constrained by something so yeah, I mean, the, the the idea of constraining yourself is kind of uh antithetic to what we do right i mean yeah. that's yeah uh you know to 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 uh sam adler was my was my first teacher and uh -huh. he i remember him very specifically telling me you know he said brett you are working too hard on this piece I, it was a string septet or something. I don't remember what it was. Um, and he told me you know, I, that I was working too hard. And what I needed to do was sit down and play with it. And just to, you know, just, just to change your thought. I mean, you're, I was, I was torturously working out counterpoint and doing all, all of the things that I thought I was supposed to be doing. Um, but as soon as it changed in my head to let's, eh, let's just see what happens. Why not? Uh, and uh you know what what would happen if you know the second viola took a solo here and decided to sound like charlie parker when they did it 
Like, <laughs> you know, let's just see what happens. Yeah. And and that, that just opened up a whole new world of possibilities to to be able to say this doesn't need to be a torturous project. You know, you're, we're supposed to be enjoying this as we write it. And so let's just play with the notes and, and see what comes out. It doesn't always work, but, you know, sometimes just changing changing your, your viewpoint really does yeah. change the life of the piece. And it's a lovely thing. I think so too. And I think, you know, um, nobody, I mean, to come up with a few masterpieces, you have to write a lot of music. And uh, it's it's doesn't happen. There, there are moments where all things gel. And boom, there you have it. But if you're not constantly working and doing it, and you expect to have a masterpiece out of everything you write, you're never going to get really anywhere musically because you have to take chances and let yourself go and and sometimes well no but even in a in a beethoven piece we don't like all the beethoven the same uh buzzoni used to say that one of the hardest things he had to learn was to distinguish good beethoven from bad beethoven so you know it's like it's that's how it is you know especially when you're writing a lot so anyway and you there's a lot of pieces that go immediately to the back of the drawer and that's that's not a bad thing i mean if if you can have your eyes open you can still have learned something from the process of creating that piece of crap over there <laughs> you know it's it's still it's still a useful experience definitely no and we all have to to travel a long road to get to where we really want to yes but uh you are really way ahead on the road and and i want to congratulate you on your music and i and i want to really thank you for coming over and talking a little bit about it well thank and, you uh, maybe maybe someday we'll do one about the dante i'll, I'll listen to it and uh, after my premiere of my work which is the 21st of may this probably is going to be after going to be yeah. shown after the that but um then i'll have more time to listen to more music but uh thank you very much for coming and Hi, I it's my pleasure thanks for having me I enjoyed our time and together and uh and that that's all folks. Yeah. <laughs>